This morning, I'm really glad that we get to hear um, from our children's ministry intern this year, who's become a good friend of mine, and many of you have got to know her. But uh, we had asked Destiny if she might be willing to share her testimony, and maybe some of you have gotten to know her. I imagine many of you have not um, gotten to hear this, and so I'm just really, really thankful that you are going to be encouraged by hearing how God has worked in her life. Uh, By the way, this is her last Sunday here. Um, Our other interns will be here just a a few more weeks, um, but she has to head back and go, uh, has a go chance to be with some friends, and then her school starts a little earlier. And so um, I know she's nervous, but I know she's going to do great, and I'm, I'm so thankful that we get to hear her. So Destiny, can you come on up, and can you welcome Destiny up? everyone can everyone hear me oh, I guess so okay so um, I will, okay so I was raised in Texas Mejia Texas um, and so I've been in college since 2012 um, Southwestern College in Winfield Kansas and so I'm honored that I have the privilege to be here with y'all this summer and work in the children's ministry okay <clears throat> so I was conceived six months after my brother was born. My mother was ashamed and scared to tell anyone because her family was not going to be pleased with the news of another baby on the way. She decided that Norplan birth control was the easiest and safest way to abort me without her family finding out. Shortly following, my mother went to the bathroom thinking, thinking she just had to use the restroom. But she gave birth to a five for to a one pound five ounce baby girl, and that is me. <laughs> and so my um, mom took me to the hospital um, because she had me when she was five months pregnant. And so the doctors nor my family um, expected me to make it through the next morning. And so the funeral home was there ready to um, make the arrangements, my funeral arrangements. Um, But here I am today, by God's grace and his mercy. (laughs) Thank you. And so my mother had a name for me, um, but a nurse took interest in me. And so she decided, she asked my mother if she could have permission to name me. So she named me Destiny Danielle, and my last name is Forge for my mother. So she named me Destiny because I have a specific purpose, and God saved me, and he kept me. And Danielle is from Daniel in the Bible, who survived a night in the lion's den. And And Daniel and Danielle also means God is my judge. So I'm very thankful that God is my judge. Because he knew how precious I was, even though my family didn't think I was precious enough to keep. And so due to my premature birth, I had many um, health complications. And so I was legally blind, and I had to go, I had to undergo multiple eye surgeries to correct my vision. And I also had a hole in my heart. Um, there's there's a period in in the gestation period for a child for a baby when they when the hole in their heart closes up, but since I was um, early, my hole didn't get a chance to close up, so they had to do open heart surgery. <clears throat> and so, 
<clears throat> so due to my, my birthing story and just hearing my mother um, share this boastfully with family members and friends, um, I felt unwanted and I felt unloved, ashamed, and humiliated from a very early age. <clears throat> so my mother, my mother was, um, since she really didn't want me, um, she was, she was um, physically abusive and she was also verbally and emotionally abusive. <clears throat> and so um, I have a stepfather. And so when I was in the third grade, my stepfather began sexually abusing me. <clears throat> And so during his abuse, I also suffered abuse from my mother and my older brother, who was also physically abusive. <clears throat> and so, so he made me um, swear to keep his secret or I would ruin the family. Um, and so I'm a peacemaker, so I just his secret was safe for me, and I didn't know any better. <clears throat> and so I called him my father, and I trusted him. <clears throat> And so every night, the opening, sorry, the opening of my bedroom door, a little piece of my soul died each time he came into my room. It became my normal, and for many years, I didn't know any different. So my, the abuse stopped. It ended my senior year, um, so April of 2012. And so... I self-horned myself. At first, it was a cry for help, but then it quickly escalated to an addiction for eight years that followed me to college. And so throughout this process, I um, I still had a relationship with God, and I still loved him very dearly. I didn't blame him for anything. I was raised in the church, um, but the church didn't have integrity, and they weren't living righteous and holy lives. And so my freshman year of college, I felt that I was safe, um, but that soon changed. Um, The nightmares started reoccurring, and um, my self-harming started, like I kept continuing to self-harm. And so in December of my freshman year, my first semester, um, I felt that I had enough courage to tell my mother what was happening. And so I told my mother February of 2013. And so I didn't get the response that I was hoping for with my family. Um, Instead, I got shame and guilt on my part. Um, Instead of her husband manipulating me and sexually abusing me, it was, so you had an affair with my husband. And so he denied ever abusing me, but then his story quickly changed to I was pursuing him. And so so I decided to cut off communication with my family. Um, It was the healthiest thing for me to do. And so so then my grades started getting better in college, and and so the cutting stopped. because my school got me into therapy, and so the therapy really helped. And, um, and so my relationship with Christ started to grow um, deeper and deeper. And so um, 
September of 2015, I started a Bible study. Um, and many of you know Rainisha Robinson. And so we were on the Bible study together. And so um, in December, we were doing a study by Francis Chan. The book is called Crazy Love. And so um, I soon started to get a lot of conviction. And um, I just knew that, that I needed to let go of all of my hurt and the pain that I carried for over a decade. <clears throat> and so in January, so my word this year is yes. <laughs> and so I said yes to Christ and giving him my life and giving him all of my hurt, my pain, the guilt, the shame that I felt. And so he began to just, um, to really heal me. And in February 14th of 2016, this year, I got baptized. And, um, and so that's, that was one of the best things ever. (laughs) Thank you. And, um, and so May of 2015, I actually filed charges against my stepfather. I thought that that was the Lord's doing, but it was not. Um, so Christ, so he began to work on my heart. And so my prayers for my mother and my stepfather were no longer, Lord, just bless them. My prayers and my heart begin to change for the things that they have endured in their lifetime to make them make the decisions that they made towards me or anybody else. Um, and so I began to start praying for their hearts and praying for their souls and for Christ to use them as his stewards. <clears throat> and so God also began to prompt me to drop the charges. He told me three times. The first two times, I didn't listen. Um, and so the third time, it was so, like, he hit me so hard, but it was in a gentle and a compassionate way. And... Um, so in the midst of my confusion and just like, I don't want to do this, just my pride, um, he began to comfort me. And, you know, he shared, like, God was just like, destiny, you know, like, I want to heal you. So give, give this to me, like, give it all to me. And um, so I did that. And so um, before I told my lawyer, God was like, write them letters. I said, uh, no, I'm not writing them letters. I forgave them in my heart. That's good enough. Um, but that wasn't what God wanted me to do. So I wrote them letters of forgiveness and I prayed over their lives. And so they have the letters. And so I'm just praying, you know, that, that they will allow the letters and God to soften their hearts so that they can become, so they can come to know him and know their redemption story and their freedom journey with him. And so feeling unworthy, ashamed, humiliated, and broken are all things that I am trying to overcome. But one thing is for sure, I am now happy and at peace with some things. My past no longer haunts me. I am free, guys. My freedom journey. (laughs) The Lord has never strayed away from me, and I will never leave him. Every day, I try to be more and more like him which is my mission. <clears throat> so even though I've been pursuing God and healing, I realized that I needed to fully surrender. So that's what I did in January. <clears throat> For those sitting in this crowd today whose lives have been impacted 
by abuse or anything else that may distract them from the value God has placed on your life. So no matter what you have um, endured in your past or currently, just know that you are fearfully and you are wonderfully made. And God has called you and set you apart before you were in your mother's womb. So you weren't here by mistake or your parents didn't plan to have you. You are here because God has a purpose for you. And God loves you and you are his son and you are his daughter. And so I just want to encourage anyone in here who has a past who is probably not as dark as mine or as bad, but whatever you have endured, hurt that you have done to someone or hurt that someone has done to you, I just want you to know that if you give it to Christ, I promise you, you will have an amazing freedom story as I have. And so I just encourage you to give it to God. He wants it. He's there. He's waiting for you to give it to him because he has an amazing journey for you. Thank you. Well, thank you so much, Destiny, for sharing. And uh, what God did in her life is going to sound a little familiar uh, as we jump into our text today. We've been going through First and Second Kings, and I want to jump right into it. So if you have your Bibles, please turn to Second Kings chapter 5. Today's text is for the person who feels hopeless. Today's text is for the person who's living in fear or who feels like they're too scarred or sick or broken to stand before Jesus. Today's text is for you if you come feeling ashamed, full of fear. And today's text is for people who maybe come here feeling a little healthier than that. But you have lots of family and friends, and I just described them. They're all of those things, and you're wondering, how can I help them? Today's text offers great stuff. And so let's just jump into this passage in 2 Kings chapter 5, verse 1. Now Naaman was commander of the army of the king of Aram. He was a great man in the sight of his master and highly regarded because through him the Lord had given victory to Aram. He was a valiant soldier, but he had leprosy. Now bands of raiders from Aram had gone out and taken captive a young girl from Israel and she served Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, if only my master would see the prophet who is in Samaria, he would cure him of his leprosy. Naaman went to his master and told him what the girl from Israel had said. By all means, go, the king of Aaron replied. I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So Naaman left, taking with him ten talents of silver, six thousand shekels of gold, and ten sets of clothing. The letter that he took to the king of Israel read, With this letter, I am sending my servant Naaman to you so that you may cure him of his leprosy. As soon as the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his robes and said, Am I God? Can I kill and bring back to life? Why does this fellow send someone to me to be cured of his leprosy? See how he was trying to pick a quarrel with me? When Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his robes, he sent him this message. Why have you torn your robes? Have the man come to me, and he will know that there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman went with his horses and chariots and stopped at the door of Elisha's house. Elisha sent a messenger to say to him, Go wash yourself seven times in the Jordan, and your flesh will be restored, and you will be cleansed. But Naaman went away angry and sad. 
I thought he would surely come out to me and stand and call in the name of the Lord his God, wave his hand over the spot and cure me of my leprosy. Are not Abama and Parfur the rivers of Damascus better than all the waters of Israel? Could I not wash in them and be cleansed? So he turned and went off in a rage. Naaman's servants went to him and said, My father, if the prophet had told you to do some great things, would you not have done it? How much more then when he tells you wash and be cleansed? So he went down and dipped in the Jordan seven times as the man of God had told him, and his flesh was restored and became clean like that of a young boy. Then Naaman and all of his attendants went back to the man of God. He stood before him and said, Now I know that there is no God in all of the world except in Israel. So please accept a gift from your servant. The prophet answered, As surely as the Lord lives, whom I serve, I will not accept a thing. And even though Naaman urged him, he refused. If you will not, said Naaman, please let me, your servant, be given as much earth as a pair of mules can carry, for your servant will never again make burnt offerings and sacrifices to any other god but the Lord. But may the Lord forgive your servant for this one thing. When my master enters the temple of Raman to bow down, and he is learning or leaning on my arm, and I have to bow there also, when I bow down in the temple of Raman, may the Lord forgive your servant for this. Go in peace, Elisha said. So you have to catch the tension in this text. If, if you're... Uh, uh, returning from captivity like the Israelites had and you're reading this letter and you are a Jew, you're an Israelite and you begin this very uh, paragraph, you read now Naaman was the commander of the army of the king of Aram. Bad, bad guy. We don't like this guy. This guy is the enemy. And, but the text says he was a great man. What? And God had done victories through him? Really? God would use this bad guy to do his work? And... It says he was a valiant soldier, but he had leprosy. So now the Israelites are like, yeah, serves him right. Okay, now the story takes a turn how they might want it. Said, okay, we're all right with this. But Naaman is this man who's been uh, valiant in, uh, in battle and in, earned his military stripes. But he has leprosy. And uh, there's lots of different uh, scholars that, in research that basically says this term for leprosy could mean a number of different things, but it's some type of a skin disease or disorder uh, that would have meant that you were unclean. You could not be certainly in the Lord's temple uh, with leprosy. In fact, in Israel, you were kind of barred from society, uh, but it also meant that your death was coming and that you were not healthy. You had this ailment. So regardless of exactly what leprosy is intended to mean here, it's a bad skin disease, and Aram knows uh, that he has big problems ahead. And this is really the plight of mankind. When we read about Aram, we think about ourselves just a little bit. We realize something is wrong and broken within us, and we need help. And this morning, I want to really do two things from the text. And the first is this. There's just a really simple, great, helpful outline that we see of what do you do when you have a problem? When you feel broken, when you feel hurt, when you feel unclean, when you feel distanced from God, what do you do? And the text just gives us some really simple help. So if you want to take notes on your sermon page, I've got those there. But the first thing is this. If, if you need help, admit your problem. Naaman does not pretend that he's fine. He doesn't try to cover up the leprosy and go about life, hoping no one will know. But how often do we do this with things in our life? Uh, no, I'm, I'm fine, and we, and we hide our, our struggle with depression. 
No, 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 I'm fine. And we hide the struggles in our relationships. No, 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 I'm, I'm fine. And we don't let anybody know what's really going on. We pretend like everything is okay. No, no, I'm fine. Um, and then, you know, the, our wives finally drag us to the hospital, you know. Um, uh, guys are kind of prone to this. Naaman, though, to his credit, uh, I'm freely admits he has this problem. That's number one. Number two is uh, listen for hope. If you have a problem, listen for hope. We could do an entire sermon on this one little small character in the story, this girl. She does nothing wrong, but she's kidnapped by Aram uh, and by Naaman. And she's hauled off from her homeland, ripped away from her family. And all we know about her is that she serves Naaman and she finds out that Naaman has leprosy and has lost all hope. And in the moment of her trauma, what does she do? She offers him hope. Imagine that. That she says, well, I know that he could get help. What would ever possess some girl like this? To offer hope to him. Only God's grace. And she says, go there. And he does. Sometimes just one word of hope is all people really need. To the man who's in the desert and thinking he's going to die, if another person comes the other way and says, look, there's a river right over that hill. That's all the hope he needs. He'll make it over that hill. He'll make it to the river. To the little girl who feels alone in this world, and, and nobody is paying attention to her, what, what would it mean for just one word for the neighbors to say, hey, sweetheart, anytime you want to have dinner at our house, just come on over. One word can make all the difference in the world. And you have that word. You are here. You know the gospel. You know that God loves us. So never keep your mouth shut when somebody needs a word of hope. Offer them a word of hope. It doesn't have to be the most eloquent thing in the whole world. Just tell them where to find help. And if you're the person in, in trouble, listen for it. Listen for hope. Share, share the good news and let people listen to it. Number three, if you need help, go to the right people. That's exactly what he does. He listens and it says, here's where you need to go. And he says, okay, I will go. Uh, in my many years of working with teenagers, I can't tell you how many times um, somebody uh, got involved in some kind of uh, dysfunctional relationship, um, and maybe even it was halfway healthy, but then when everything dissolved and fell apart, uh, then uh, they would say, I would say, how you doing? And they'd say, well, um, I, I'm not doing very well, but I've been hanging out with these girls or these guys over here because they've had lots of experience with bad relationships. Be like, well, okay, hang on a second. You want to hang out with them right now? <laughs> Maybe we should find out, find some people who've had experience with good relationships. Maybe get some of their advice, some of their help. But it's funny how we're kind of prone to go to people who can maybe empathize with us, but maybe not get us to the next step and help us and give us wisdom. What about finding the healthiest person you know if you're in a time of hurt and you need help? Go to that person. Go to the person that you know is praying for you. Read Proverbs. If you need help, read Proverbs. Read it and read it and read it again. Read the Gospels. Listen. Don't be quick to do anything. Be real slow for any action. Instead, listen and pray 
be silent. Go to the right people. Now, Naaman thinks he goes to the right person and he shows up and the king of Israel, who should know the answers, just acts like a complete wimp. I mean, he's like, uh, why would you come to me? Are you setting me up? Is this some kind of trick? Is your army going to attack us? I don't know what to tell you. Well, he's the one guy in the world who should be able to tell him and he, he doesn't even know. Well, if somebody comes into the church, they've come to the right place. We ought to be ready to tell them and to help them and, and, and not be throwing a fit saying, well, I don't know how to help you. Well, you, you may not know all of the ways to help them, but we know some ways. So he kind of strikes out, but thankfully, Elisha hears about it and comes. And so Elisha, the man of God, the prophet, is able to offer him some help. And that brings us to number four. Have you heard the phrase, you know, kiss, keep it simple, stupid? You know, we use that phrase when somebody's making things too complex. And I wanted, I wanted to just make number four, just obey, stupid. But that sounds mean for the preacher to call his people <laughs> stupid. So, like, I scratched that off my notes. And so just insert your own name here. You know, just obey, Brian. Just obey, insert your name. Don't make it too complex, and since God says, first thing you should do with your paycheck is to give some of it to me, don't quarrel about it. Just obey, person. Since God says, here's my plan with marriage, don't get all defensive and don't get mad and don't try to rage. Just obey, person. And if godly people come to you and say, hey, listen, I know about your struggle with drinking or with spending or with this or with that, you just got to quit going to this place. Just obey, person. Just listen to it and take it in and don't always be pushing back against people, but just listen to what they say. But Naaman instead thought, well, this isn't what I expected. To go down into the Jordan River and dip down seven times, that's silly. That's ridiculous. I thought it would be something where he waved his hand over me and I felt everything get better and it all happened and it was all great and angels were dancing around and a unicorn jumped over a rainbow and it was all perfect. And, and he's like, I, I wanted it to be something different. A lot of people have said, why baptism? What do I got to get in there? That's ridiculous. Just obey, person. It's not that difficult. You know, if God would have said, you know, climb Mount Everest, we'd be all up there dying trying to make it. So just get in the water. It's simple. And, and Naaman is pushing back against it. And thankfully, again, somebody speaks up. His servant, who maybe he's putting himself at risk to speak up. But he's like, dude, Naaman, you drug us all the way here. Go try it. Just jump into the water. See what happens. And Naaman, to his credit, listens to him. And I imagine he was feeling embarrassed. I imagine he was thinking, oh, the humiliation. If I get into the Jordan River and I get out and nothing has changed. And the heartache and brokenness that will come with that. But he goes down and he gets into the river. And I wish I could, I wish we had video of what happened here. I've always wondered if anybody was downstream. Because if you're downstream from the guy with leprosy, you're getting out really quick. Um, Because you're worried about those people. When we drive to my aunt and uncle's house in Missouri, I remember as a kid driving there, they kind of lived out in, uh, in the woodsy area. And there was a really pretty little creek that ran through. And we would often see... Um, people, uh, and this isn't real sophisticated, but there was always some people that would have 
uh, their lawn chairs in the creek, sitting there, you know, uh, drinking and stuff. And that was kind of their good time for a Saturday. And uh, we would see them there enjoying the creek. But we would always laugh because these people would never drive up farther down the road. And if they would, they would see what we would always see. We would see them in the creek. We would drive just around the bend, 100 yards, a whole bunch of cattle in the creek. <laughs> and it's going downstream. And we were always like, oh. <laughs> um, but uh, so I don't know what happens when Naaman gets into the Jordan River with everybody else. But what we know that really does happen is he, he dips into the Jordan like he's commanded to do. And when he comes out, the text says his skin was like that of a little boy. It was completely healed, perfect, pure. And number five, trust God to do the healing. It was not the Jordan River that did the healing. It is not, it is not the water in a baptistry that does the healing. It is God who does the saving. God just says, hey, here's my plan for that. We trust God to do the healing in us. If we could heal ourselves, we'd all be fine. We can't. So we say, God, I need you to heal me. I will trust you. And God could have, if I was God and Naaman is throwing this pouty fit about my plan to heal him, I might have just said, well, forget it, dude. The deal's off. God is a God of second chances. And if you're a person who said, no, God, no, God, that's ridiculous, God, that's silly, God, I don't want to give that up, God, I won't do that, God, here's what I know for sure. The offer is still on the table for you. That is good news. And if your kids or your friends or your parents and your siblings and your neighbors have said, forget it, I reject, I reject, here's what you need to know. God's offer is still on the table for them too. So don't give up praying for them. Don't give up caring for them. Number six, to borrow a term from Celebrate Recovery, take inventory. This is what he immediately does. He comes up, he's healed, he recognizes that God is the only God. Now obedience is a theme throughout the book of uh, books of 1st and 2nd Kings, and we have these people, and we have just have God saying, obey me, trust me, obey me. And, and we need to realize that God saves us. We don't have to get all of our life figured out before God saves us. But when he saves us, then we begin to take a little inventory and we begin to think, okay, here's some things in my life that probably don't line up with his will. And Naaman... By the time he gets from the river to Elisha's, he realizes, ooh, there's this one thing. Because I'm going to have to be going with my master here in a few weeks uh, to this temple of a false god. And I'm going to have to kind of help him bow down because I kind of support him and go in here. And he says, you know, Elisha, just ask God to forgive me that I recognize there is only one God. I will only worship one God from now on. I mean, it's a complete conversion for him. I mean, they, he may have worshipped many gods before. Now he says there's one God. But listen, I'll, I'll have to go in with my master to this temple. And it's interesting. Elisha's like, go in peace. It's okay. God knows that you're not worshipping that false god. And uh, we can get into a whole other discussion about sometimes God says, uh, with your job, do this or do this or do this. Sometimes God says, you honor me. And I recognize there's some people at your company that don't honor me. So you honor me as best as you can and go in peace. 
It's good news. But our job is to keep taking inventory and finding out, man, is there something else I need to give up to God? Is there something else I need to give to him? I wanted to preach this text well today, but I wanted to do something different as well. Um, Not preach it poorly, but I wanted to kind of step aside from the text and not only talk about how do we get help, but also just to kind of talk about some stuff that's helpful as we read through the Old Testament. I, I want to talk for just a couple minutes about why the Old Testament is so important for us. Have you ever read a story from the Old Testament and you just were like, okay, I don't, I don't understand what that meant. There's enough people who have had that experience and who did not keep exploring that they've just quit reading the Old Testament altogether. And Genesis through Malachi, eh, they just kind of forget it. Maybe they'll read some Psalms every once in a while, but they just don't get it, and so they've quit. There's entire churches that you'll never really preach from the Old Testament. But we can't do that. That's not what God has called us to. In, in my hand is an acorn. I had my daughter go find this for me, and I could tell you a lot about this acorn. I could tell you, you know, acorns usually have a little hat on them, and they're really small, and this one's brown, and the squirrels in my backyard try to, to come find this. But I could tell you all about this acorn, but if I don't talk to you about oak trees, you don't get it. And we can look at the Old Testament a lot, but if we don't talk about Jesus, you don't really get it. The Old Testament is beautiful. There are great lessons for us. There are people we can learn from their faults and from their successes, and we can learn many things. But here's what I just want to say to you this morning. When you read the Old Testament, look for Jesus because he's all throughout it. He is, I'm not saying make stuff up that's not there. You don't have to. And think about this story. You don't have to make up anything. Don't you see Jesus all throughout this story? Uh, in fact, Jesus said in the book of John, you search the scriptures. You're trying to figure them all out. And he says this, but if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote about me. Moses wrote in the Old Testament, and Jesus saying, Moses was writing about me. In his book, um, Jesus in the Old Testament, uh, uh, Murray writes this, Abraham looked forward to see Jesus, whereas we look back. But the core, the essence, the focus was the same. His faith wrapped itself around the promised, Satan-crushing, world-blessing Savior. And the result is also the same. He believed in the Lord, and it was credited to him as righteousness. What are we called to do today? Believe in the Lord. So it will be credited to us as righteousness. Jesus is all through Naaman's story. We're not bending the text or taking something out of context or forcing something where it's not to see that. In in the New Testament, we learn that Jesus is greater than the temple. Jesus is greater than any of the prophets, any of the kings, anything done. Everything points to Jesus fulfilling it, making full sense of it so we understand it all. And the heroes of the Old Testament teach us a bunch, but they mostly teach us to look to Jesus because Jesus is better than any of them. Jesus' name isn't mentioned in 2 Kings 5, but he's all in it. Think about, think about Naaman. He's hopeless. That's us. That's, that's mankind. We're doomed. We're unclean. We can't be in the presence of God. We're cast out. We're hated by many. And Naaman goes and he dips in the Jordan River and is healed. The same Jordan River where centuries later Jesus would be baptized by John the Baptist showing us the way. Don't miss that significance. Naaman's skin comes out clean. 
And God says, I'll save you and make you clean. First Peter 3 reminds us of the flood. It says only eight were saved. But now this water symbolizes baptism that now saves you also. Not the removal of dirt for the body, but the pledge of a clear conscience towards God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's not the water that saves you. It's God who saves you because Jesus died for your sins taking on our impurity, our sin, and he died what we deserved. He died for us, but he did not stay dead. He, he defeated death, raising on the third day. And because of that hope, we can have eternity with Christ. And that is the good news that we even see in the life of Naaman, somebody who is completely lost and hopeless and unclean, and God saves him, and he becomes healed. And that can be your story, too. God, God gives us the instructions, but it's not the water. It's not, you know, an act of confession. It's, it's not anything that we do that saves us. It is God who saves us, and God is in the business of saving people. And if you come this morning and you've been in the, somewhere along the stages of Naaman, maybe the person who's never heard of the hope that exists Maybe the person who's heard, but you're just journeying and you're trying to learn more. Maybe, maybe the person who's heard the good news, but you're like, ah, I'm not going to do that. That's silly. Maybe, I don't know where you are, but you need to say yes to God's offer of salvation to you and just obey and let him do the saving because he does every time. This morning, if you would like to respond to what God's been prompting in your heart this morning, uh, we'll have some folks that would love to pray with you. Just kind of in the front corner over here and in the front corner over here. You'd be welcome to come up and we'd be glad to pray with you, to talk with you, just quietly visit with you. Uh, also on your communication cards, you can just check that you would like somebody to study with you, talk to you this week. And we'd be glad to follow up with you this week. If you would, uh, would you stand? And if you would like to visit with somebody even during this next song, you can come right up during the song. And uh, I'm going to pray for us and then, then we'll sing together. God, we, we thank you for your great love. We thank you that you make us clean when we don't deserve it. You give us hope when we're hopeless. Uh, you give us hope for healing, for salvation. And we pray that for every person here today. In Jesus' name, amen.